Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Jessica McDermott. And where are you from? I am from London, and I'm back in London now, but I lived in Glasgow for eight years as well, in Scotland. My One of my first questions I always want to know about people is basically how did you get made? You know, so like, was it was it your family that was creative? Was it your right. uh, teacher, a schooling, a friend, an experience? How did you sort of come to your creative life? Yeah, I'd say both my parents are quite creative. My dad was an actor, but also always drawing the cartoons and all sorts of things like that. Always full of ideas. And my mum, she she was quite young when she had me, so she did her degree while I was a child. So, which is quite funny because it was in photography. So I think I was about four to eight was kind of the period that she was doing that. And I remember I didn't really like photography very much then because it was more something that was taking my mum away from me. And at that age, you know, you don't. It's it's more this emotional kind of pull. You don't really understand like why something's happening but that that's kind of interesting though because she would take me to exhibitions and I think on the whole I don't think that much resonated with me but I don't know how old I was when I went to see a Cindy Sherman exhibition with her but that was something that really did resonate especially like the film stills and it was quite exciting thinking oh this oh this is what photography can be as well and yeah, I guess when I went to school, I was always interested in art. We didn't have, like, it was a really good school, but we it wasn't huge. So there was the opportunity to do photography, but not necessarily as, like, a single subject, which, like, I know really big schools can kind of accommodate that as, like, a, I don't know, like a GCSE or an A-level or... or whatever the equivalent is for people who are listening. I, say, I don't know anything about the British educational system. so Sure. Well, that's like you. your exams at 16 and 18, basically, like your end of school kind of things. I had amazing art teachers, really amazing. Like, yeah, I guess, gosh, it's funny to go and think back that far, really. They were always incredible. They were just... I don't know, just, they were all very, like a real eclectic mix of people, I would say, in that department, but they were just really great, really supportive. I also, I lost my dad when I was doing my A-level, so I was 17, so I think kind of making work around that time and having them as that kind of support network, just, it, I, I think, I can't remember when I knew I wanted to go and pursue some sort of art education uh, for like, you know, beyond school, but yeah having having them definitely yeah made the difference you you know like there are yeah a collection of teachers that you just sometimes you just don't forget and I, yeah definitely that whole department and so where did you go to school i went to school in a place called godolphin and latimer it's in hammersmith in london it's west london i know I, this is an international audience isn't it so that's, that's not really that helpful west london <laughs> i went to school in west london yeah, it was a it was a lovely school, all girls school, as well. So, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it really, but it was it was a it was a good time. All right, 
I'm, yeah, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> perfectly fine. Um, okay, so then you left school. So then, so now, if I'm so, what did you get your degree in? I yeah, so straight from school, I went to Glasgow School of Art. So that's when I moved up to Scotland. So technically, my degree on a piece of paper says design, but the the course that I did was visual communication, and that was to start with a mixture of graphic design, illustration, and photography. I know it. I've taught it. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. And then in the final two years, I was able to specialize and I specialized in photography. Yeah. Again, I think it's all different systems. Scotland naturally has a four-year program. So it was one year quite general in just all design subjects. Then the following year into those kind of th that three split so that you're actually kind of doing more what you had started out with, with this visual communication and then... Yeah, and then photography, but it was a really tiny amount of people doing photography. I think we had a few exchange students, but the core was just four of us. Again, randomly, completely female. So not our tutor. Our tutor was male. Yeah, just four women. So that was quite unusual, I think. Not, uh, you know, crits could go on for ages, but you'd have about an hour and a half each. I, I graduated from my BFA with four students in the photography oh, really? department also. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, we, we became both friends and enemies at the same time, on and off. Oh, well, I, I mean, one of my closest friends I made from that course. So that's that was great good so okay and then and you're still very young in your career yes relatively so yeah <laughs> i've been doing it for a while but relative to me i'm 46 <laughs> years old so like you're young to me but one of the things i am interested in is academia did they prepare you for the professional practices and the business of being a creative person i i mean uh, you know i'm still close with my tutor and and uh, I liked my time at Glasgow, but I would not necessarily say that I felt that prepared for going out into the world. I, I definitely, I felt I had the opportunity to go back and, you know, like the careers advisor is, um, I think you can go back indefinitely if you wanted to. And, you know, I, when I got my first kind of job, I did go back and sort of asking for help for pricing and things like that. But I didn't leave kind of with that sort of information. And it was interesting because I, I was seeing someone briefly after I finished there and, and they were doing a course at like the Metropolitan College. And it was much more technical, but it's much more geared towards your career. But it was this interesting balance that I felt like at the art school, you were, your eye was being trained. Like I say, you'd have these long crits. You kind of felt like in the outside world, you'd make this one picture and then you talk about it for an hour and then you get a job and you kind of think, oh, I think this is good. but And they're like, oh, this is great. And you're like, well, I don't know. It could have. And they're like, no, no, this is, this is just what we wanted. And, and it, it's completely different. So I, I don't know. I, I've always felt from the education I've had that there's maybe yeah like it would be nice to have both worlds I wouldn't want to have gone to just the college and and only done very technical things but at the same time you don't want to leave with too like lofty an idea of what the outside world's going to be and then you know have bills to pay and all these things and not really know how to how to do that yeah more professional side and 
Yeah, you pretty much just explained me leaving school, which is <laughs> the the high romantic expectations of you know fame and fortune, that, but no <laughs> sense of actually how to achieve any of it. Hmm. I mean, I don't know that. Well, I, who knows what I? I can't remember what I left with thinking. Not necessarily fame and fortune, but I think you know, I, I uh, it didn't really have any sense of how I was going to achieve and do the things that I wanted to do. So, so now, what what have you come to now? So, I, I know that you were doing, you did work with the Tate recently, mm-hmm. and you're, you're you're practicing visual artist now. So, I looking on your website and following your your social media and stuff, it seems like you're doing primarily fine arts. But the question is, is is that really balancing? Like, can you is that enough? Do you have to do any commercial work? So, predominantly at the moment, I mean. Not this very moment because we're in a lockdown. <laughs> but yeah. um, after work, so the the work I did at Tate was for an exhibition that would still be on at the moment it, again if it wasn't for the lockdown. Luckily, it was on for quite a while before the, the Tate Britain closed its doors for the time being. So I don't know if you know much about that, but I'll just explain anyhow. So it was a big I mean, a huge, <laughs> huge portrait project, and the biggest kind of like one of the biggest schools focus projects that's ever been undertaken, certainly in London. There were 76,000 children part of this exhibition. And that was a balance of taking portraits, so it's going into schools, taking class portraits for the artist Steve McQueen, the Turner Prize winner and director Steve McQueen. You know, you always have to kind of say that because sometimes people think, you know, the, the actor who died many years ago. <laughs> But that's Steve McQueen. I'm American, yes. I, I originally, when I saw that you had done with Steve McQueen, I was like, he's dead. <laughs> a lot of the children asked us if he was alive. It's like, very much so. Otherwise, I don't know how he's doing this project. But It's very difficult to have the same name as another famous person, admittedly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, wait, let's take a step back on okay. that. How did you even get that opportunity? In order to, to support my photography, I did a various things I mean when I was in Glasgow just kind of bar jobs in fact I worked in a comedy club for a few years not on the stage just (laughs) all the other stuff around it and and that was in Glasgow and then I kind of I decided you know to have my fallback option so I went and studied as a lot of people do I think English uh, teaching English as a second language and so for a few years I'd been kind of doing my work I also have a podcast that I do so doing that alongside teaching and that was you know I really it was really enjoyable it's very student focused you can still kind of bring in a lot of the themes and ideas that you want to with with your students so yeah I maybe did that for about three or four years and then this opportunity came along I mean it was advertised the opportunity for Tate and you know, I'd been working as a photographer. I'd worked freelance before I did the teaching as well. I mean, I'd worked for a few different charities. I did a, a massive kind of legacy project for at Scottish Opera, which is a big charity in Scotland. It wasn't really, I wasn't photographing opera singers on the whole. It was, they had this big redevelopment of a, a theatre, really um, old, beautiful theatre in Glasgow. And I was photographing all of the people that were kind of helping to make this redevelopment happen. So it was like about 400 different people from your architects to quantity surveyors. And so I'd had this opportunity of working on like large scale projects that I'd been personally commissioned to do. I had this education background and this 
job came up and it was this sort of perfect opportunity because I think a lot of the time as artists you have these two things or these three or four or five things that you're juggling and you have to write these tailored CVs one where where you're putting all that art stuff that you're doing and trying to fill in the gaps where you don't want to put well I worked in a bar for x amount of years or I worked as a teacher for x amount of years because it doesn't really seem to support the work that you're applying for and this opportunity came along where they were looking for somebody who was basically an artist and an educator for this very specific role and it was just like well this is perfect because I'd been making work and I'd been doing things but I think it had got to a point where I felt like it stagnated a little bit and I, I really was like I've learned everything I'm going to learn in this role as a teacher but now I need to find like a way out of it and and you know move into something else and so that role came along and yeah it was brilliant I learned so much because working on like one of the biggest projects that the curator had ever done the senior curator of contemporary art that you know every step of the way of so many people working on this project it was like the biggest thing they had ever done themselves and yeah getting to learn from all those people it was great i'm i'm most interested in what you said about having to tailor different cvs okay because yeah. <laughs> i mean this is about the business of it, of the mm. creative industry so like the idea that we have to tailor all this stuff like because one of my other little sticking points have you applied for any like grants and residencies and all that kind of stuff yeah i have i mean please you know. tell me your experiences with writing those applications because <laughs> i i find them to be the most soul sucking difficult tedious stuff ever they are uh, it, it's probably my least favorite thing that i do and i have to do it a lot as we all do because you know when you work as a freelance artist usually i mean you know the annoying not the annoying but often things that you get will come because you know a person who's seen your work and you've you've built these connections but you you can't just sit around waiting for somebody to say oh by the way i know this person there's this opportunity so you have to keep writing the applications, looking out for all these opportunities. I, I do find it soul destroying. And the thing is, most, you know, everybody gets rejections and you're going to get way more rejections than you are going to be given an award or given a residency or whatever it might be. But I guess the more you do it, the more you get better at it. That's at least. <laughs> That's the theory. theory. Yeah, it's the concept. So, yeah. okay. So have you received grants and residencies? Yeah, not a huge amount, <laughs> to be honest, but I have well, had it's a... more than me. I I've gotten like one. Sure. Uh, but sometimes, you know, that's kind of all it takes. But I, I got some funding to do a project a few years ago. I have an ongoing project with working with people with dementia. So I think, you know, as you said at the top, I mean, stories is what drives my all of my work, the stories we tell, the way we're remembered, things like that. And and so originally I'd been, I'd been putting out feelers to try and work with older people. And then this charity called Resonate Arts approached me and said, well, we work with people with dementia and you do a, a thing called creative befriending. So you go into their home and you do art projects with them. And if you have an art project in mind, then that's fine too. So 
my idea was that you know i love kind of renaissance style portraiture where you've got you know little things from nature like maybe there's a little bird hovering in the corner and that means that somebody is about to die in the picture or you know just all these little things that are symbolic and so i would work with people to kind of to tell their stories as best we could in just one image. And I got some funding from an organization that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. It's called Ideas Tap. They were great, actually. They were, they would have lots of, of applications coming up all the time. I think they just had a set amount of funding and, you know, it, it got to the end of it. They, they ran for a few years. One upside of theirs as well was that you actually could see how many people had applied. So, you know, sometimes when you apply for an application, you don't, you have no idea. Maybe I'm one of 30, very unlikely. Maybe I'm one of 300 or 3,000, you know, and, and it's very hard to set your expectations. And also, sometimes it's a very long process. You've got to wait three months for the answer. But yeah, I, I got some funding with them. I also got uh, an award for that work. I mean, that is something that I plan to continue, but it's just, it's the logistics sometimes of of having that very kind of intimate, you know, I'd spend like about a year with somebody. I mean, I think as, as I kind of got better with working with people with dementia as well, I mean, everybody's different. So it's not really like you learn how to work with like people with dementia, but just sort of, again, it's a learning curve you know and you're working with someone that doesn't remember your project from week to week so you've got to learn how to deal with that but fresh every time it's good yeah <laughs> yeah but you you building something there's new memories all the time that's for sure but yeah that's one of the few things i've got an award for well, when it comes to the granting process i like i have a I, I feel like i'm being like a negative person but i'm gonna keep rolling with it but like the one thing I have a problem with is that we will perpetually write grants, we'll write residency applications, all these kinds of things, and very rarely do we get feedback. Like we, as creative people, we're really good with taking feedback and then integrating it somehow and being better next time. We do it all the time in our own photographs and our artwork. You know, we mm -hmm. make mistakes, we learn from our mistakes, do better next time, kind of thing. But when it comes to this, any sort of writing process, grants, residencies, all these things they never tell us what we did wrong. And no. even when we do something right, they don't even tell us what we did right. So so how are we supposed to get better at that process? Yeah, I, it is a really tough one. I mean, I've recently, through kind of working with new people in kind of the art and education industry, I've been quite lucky. I've had someone I mean, officially, he's not a mentor, but um, he's been quite good in terms of like reading applications and things for me. Someone who's kind of, you know, will sit on certain bodies for different application boards. So I've been uh, trying to get some feedback and support through things like that. And I think that's certainly helping me in a way that, like you say, getting feedback like, you ticked all the boxes, but we decided to go with somebody else just doesn't help you. And that, you know, through the Arts Council, in particular in England, like that is the majority of what you get back. And it's interesting because I know in in Scotland, I think on the whole, the the basically the, the body that's the same, but, but for Scotland, I, I'm pretty sure through what I know from close friends that you tend to get feedback. If anything, you tend to even get offered the opportunity to 
sort of tweak and think about your application again and and you know go through the process again so it's not just this sort of wasted thing but I, I guess it depends on the scale well you know wasted in the sense that you know you put all this time and like you say you've not got the you've not got the feedback you've not got the grant money you don't really know should you abandon this idea should you pursue crowdfunding should you what should you do I mean, that's the bigger question is is like, it's if you apply for whatever, so grant, residency, et cetera, like if it doesn't get funded or it doesn't get accepted, is you're, you're just sitting there left with the idea of, okay, did I just not get funded because I didn't tick all their boxes correctly mm -hmm. or appropriately, or was it just a bad idea? Mm. Or is this project just the wrong thing and I shouldn't be doing it at all? I mean, my approach now, obviously, I, I think you still have to, you have to go for these things. And, and the thing is, sometimes you go for a thing and you get it, and that will to help elevate your career in general. But I think for, for anybody starting out or feeling, you know, at any stage of their career, feeling like, well, maybe I'll never make it, or maybe like this is, isn't for me because of the, the rejections or the that stalemate that you feel like you're going through, I think it's all about being resourceful and and just sort of carving your own path by just making the work. Obviously, if the things you want to do are costly, then that's quite difficult. But I think that's where you have to just try and scale back your ideas and and have like a a plan for what you would do if you had more money, like for the future. But what can you do now? I think creatives and and as this kind of lockdown is showing is that creative people especially people who kind of work in this industry who work quite well with restrictions and having tight briefs tight deadlines and so if you can sort of reframe that for yourself then you can probably open up a lot more opportunities and I mean things that I have done for example I mean I'm decided to make a book going back maybe six years ago now. So like I said, I worked, in fact, I'm going to go two steps back. <laughs> okay. You asked me earlier about the, the tailoring your CVs. And so a lot of, of artists that I've seen that are, that are doing quite well don't necessarily do that. They find a way to make the things that they've been doing on the side relevant even if it's not necessarily that relevant, but they, they find a way to kind of incorporate it, like you say, into their story. So like they become this struggling artist who's been working in a supermarket to make ends meet or whatever it might be. And, and that's really good as well. So if you can sort of frame the other things that you're doing as part of your, your process, I'm not a huge fan of the word process, but for lack of a better word, your process, Every person I get on the podcast has a particular word that they have a pet peeve about. It's very funny. It's not a super pet peeve. I just I think it's it's used so broadly and, uh, and my I, I hate the word cute. It's my okay. biggest pet peeve. It's the worst. I mean, every, and you know, a teddy bear is cute. A baby is cute. A car is cute. Like, what does cute actually mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So this idea of kind of tailoring your CV and things like that. I mean, I think in some some situations it's it's not going to be appropriate to put i've i've spent like 5 years working 
in the supermarket or whatever it might be. Unless your next series of work is about supermarkets or supermarket employees exactly. or something around that industry. But even then you wouldn't necessarily have to say I worked from 2009 to 2000. Like you, you would just incorporate it as a, a sort of, I'm an expert in uh, the supermarket industry having, you know, worked, worked there for whatever it might be. And then well, but it, it's like Charles Bukowski. I mean, he wrote a book uh, called post office because he worked in a post office, sure. you know, so like, you know, he, he wrote barfly because, well, he was a barfly, <laughs> you know, like sometimes you mm -hmm. can actually, you know, creative people are very good with figuring out creative ways to bring together limitations into new opportunities. Absolutely. And then it, it is that, yeah, it's that reframing. It's like, it's, it, it, it's sort of acting as though you've been working undercover all this time to kind of create this artwork, even if you didn't realize it. But so, I mean, the way I've, I've done that in the past and then got funding through no alternative means is I, so like I say, I worked in a comedy club in Glasgow for a few years and I just noticed particularly that, so going back kind of about six years ago, seven years ago, actually, no, further, much further. Back in 2009, I was asked to take a photograph for, there were about 80, just over 80 female comedians who were getting together because there'd been loads of press at the time basically saying, women aren't funny and, you know, you're not going to see women on panel shows because they're not funny. And there was just this kind of, you know, progress goes through these peaks and troughs this is something that I find fascinating in my work anyway. But at that particular time, there was this, this real downer in the press about women and their abilities in comedy. And having worked in a comedy club where I'd seen as well men, some men who would just turn away if a woman was coming on stage. And even in the booking process, this wasn't across the board, but for some people that I worked with, I, I just found it shocking and fascinating the way that women were being perceived before they even basically got to, to say anything. And so I decided to make this book about female comedians. And I had my commission that I was doing for Scottish Opera was kind of taking me all around Scotland anyway. And my partner does stand up. So that kind of it tied in quite well. So we went to the Edinburgh festival and so I was taking lots and lots of photographs of them at that time but the way I decided to fund that book was through crowdfunding and you know that's that's a way where you can just sort of take control of your situation decide how much money you actually need for a project or let it be kind of dictated by how much um, support you get it's also a great way of just putting yourself on the map. You're kind of, you're forced through a campaign to put yourself out there again and again, remind people of what you're doing. So I think all these different things are really, um, really good steps to take. Like, okay, wait, wait, did you, so did your project get funded? Yes, it got funded, but you know, it's very, it's kind of, yeah, it, it might be seen as sort of self-funded, but yeah, it got funded by a number of different people. It was a book, so it was kind of ideal because mostly people pre-ordered the book. I found some other people were more generous than I expected and, you know, would get like a print as well as a book. You know, you can put all these varying rewards. 
some people surprisingly as well were willing to put a little bit of money in and and not get like anything in return apart from having their name in a book that they may never see because they didn't pre-order the book but you know people people will support you if I guess you know people who care about you as a person and then your work as well and so that that is an opportunity in and of itself so that was So like I say, I went back, it was 2009 that I took this original group photograph and then I decided to go back four years later and bring out a book that would be five years later, kind of speaking to comedians individually about their shows and about where they felt perceptions were at that point after, yeah, this particular, I don't know, spate of of press that was really negative. Okay, and so have you done any more of these? Uh, what what'd you use? Indiegogo, Kickstarter, what was the one? I used Indiegogo for that one. And I did actually, I'd had an exhibition, a much smaller amount through a Scottish one as well for an exhibition a couple of years before where I'd kind of, that gone fine as well, but I'd, I'd sort of learned a bit more through doing that one. But yeah, I used Indiegogo. I've not used it again since. I mean, it's not something that I think people should do like necessarily like every year or something like that. I think you should like really focus on, I think you should always focus on why you need funding because it's, it's a lot of work, whether it's this long, tedious application, as we said, where you have to wait three months or whatever, or it's a crowdfunding. Again, like I said about ideas to happen, how useful it was to see how many applicants there were. With crowdfunding, you can see how well your campaigning and your ideas are resonating. You tend to get most people at the beginning and then a few in the middle and then most people again at the end. You know, People want to help you straight away because it's happening right now. And people like to think that they're going, that they can help you get there just before you get to the end at the very end, but you're not even, you know, it's worth having it for a month or whatever it might be and, and having events and doing whatever it might be to bolster it in the middle, but you are going to get most people at the beginning and at the end. So if you're really suffering at the beginning, you know that you're probably not going to get your funding. Well, I, I personally find the entire idea of crowdfunding um, the, one of the scariest things I could imagine to do because, you know, I mean, you, I don't even know where to start with why it's so (laughs) frightening. I mean, the whole idea of basically publicly saying, I want to do this project and here, please all of my quote unquote friends who are on social media and whatever, who probably aren't actually my friends, Mm -hmm. but just for whatever reason are following me or friendly on me online, asking them to somehow support my project and then potentially being embarrassed by it not getting funded is like, for me, it's the biggest fear in my Mm -hmm. life. Of course, you know, as an artist, the last thing I ever want to do is put out something that I end up getting embarrassed by because that, you know, to a certain extent will end up being attached to your reputation, therefore attached to your career and so on and so on. But of course I'm older and I put a lot more weight on that idea of the career and the, and the reputation of my name. And I think that there's a lot of strength in the younger people who are sort of more willing to do these things that I'm utterly afraid of. To be honest, like, I, I have that same sort of anxiety, I guess. I mean, I'm not really... I'm trying to get better with things like social media. Now, I, I actually wrote my dissertation 
on like it was called the psychology of voyeurism but a big part of it was to do with how we're giving too much of ourselves away on the internet and like that's going back a bit as well i mean that is kind of when facebook was just was only really available to like university students like it 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 was right at the beginning of of yeah the internet hadn't got to anything like what what it is today and so that that feeling towards it i always feel a little bit like how much of myself do i really want to to give and and yet you also do self portraits <laughs> i do i do mm. but i mean or something i've been talking about through my more recent posts i guess is the fact that so i'm trying so i am i'm i'm currently pregnant with my first child at the moment and so i'm trying to document kind of yeah oh thank you <laughs> um i wasn't waiting for that i was just thinking about what i was gonna say next but i'm trying to sort of document the pregnancy but also it's sort of interesting because we're in a lockdown and but i i never really take photographs of myself as myself and so i'm always in character so even with these where it's sort of partly driven by this physical change I'm still like I don't really I I am totally like with wigs and costume and and so but you know like going back when I said like I loved Cindy Sherman's work as a young child I'd like I you know she's a huge influence to I think a lot of 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 artists a lot of women artists in particular and yeah like that's probably you know a huge influence on me but I, I find it very difficult just like you know you'd never see a Cindy Sherman picture that's really of her apart from there are maybe one or two in a, an amazing retrospective in London a few months back yes I do I do take self-portraits but like I say like there's there's always that distance the avatar that you're creating yeah and that that fear I mean if I was to do crowdfunding again I would definitely still have that. There is definitely fear going into it, but but I wouldn't, to be honest, I don't really think that our memories are, I think our memories are pretty short. And unless you make a spectacular, like reputational failure by doing something, you, you need to do something pretty bad, um, I think, to... Well, especially these days. I think the, the, the memories of things are getting shorter and shorter. And I don't mean yeah. that literally our, our memories in our brain, but I think the industry's memory of both successes and failures is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember what was the most uh, talked about thing at the Venice Biennale two years ago. You sure. know, like... Whereas when I was young, we were still talking about stuff from the 1960s before I was even born. So it seems like the industry doesn't have as long a memory as it once did, and which is probably ingrained in my psyche. So that's why sure. I'm, I'm more, probably more afraid than you are. I think the, the irony of a crowdfunding campaign, and this is why it's so important to have put in all that work in order to make sure that somebody that pe people are funding you from the get-go is that I actually think people are quite fearful to be the ones to support it if no one else has supported it so you, you're maybe worrying as the artist or wh whoever that oh I don't know what people will think of this people are unlikely to judge you for the work that you're deciding to do I think it would have to be pretty 
out there or pretty banal for people to be like but even then they would just be like oh that's not for me I, I don't think anyone would think god what were they thinking by putting this up on a crowdfunding site i i, I think oh, it's I, just... no i've seen some of those that i judged like that oh, really? <laughs> okay well maybe that's more the difference than the fear factor i don't know but i i think the the advice i've given to people who are starting campaigns like this is don't necessarily have any don't have any expectations like if you're making a book and it's got lots of artists work you think great collectively these artists have like a million followers yet they're not necessarily going to promote the book you would think they would they're going to benefit from it but i have seen that firsthand it, it's it's just don't make that assumption i'm sure if the campaign starts doing really well off its own back then they'll be very happy to be attached to it but yes just don't don't make those judgments of people because it's it's actually quite unlikely that people will will push people like to push a thing that's happening that they're part of but not necessarily something that someone's trying to get funding for at this early stage just doing all the initial you know asking people in advance yeah and, and saying like this is going to be going out it would be really great if you could support right at the beginning. And and you start with your friends and family. You start with the people that you're close to because... All my friends are artists. They don't have money to throw towards my art. Sure. But, I mean, you could always be like, if all of you could just go for, like, the, the lowest of the rewards or something. Whatever it might be. But, th but that's the way to do it. That's the way to it do is. it. It is. So what about, okay, what about social media? Mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated about it because I find it's a it's a difficult balancing act because I mean you you want to put time energy into and thought making it really good and interesting but everybody seems to do it differently there's no standard way to like be whatever word you want but successful to it at it but there uh, you know so I guess the end of it's just sort of how is it that you're using it and is it working well for you or not sort of what's your methodology with social media well it's been a bit higgledy piggledy <laughs> and not super successful I would say I, I'm making a bit of an effort at the moment um oh sorry there is a doorbell I'll start the topic again. So it was basically like, how are you, what you're working with? How are you benefiting from, or, or what's your methodology for social media? But I'll add to that. Are you selling any prints or anything online? Like, cause I think of like Saatchi art and those kinds of places. Like, so are you actively participating, like engaging with um, selling work via online as well? No, not, not actively at the moment. I, I go through phases with that as well, and sometimes I try to do things through my own channels. I have, I mean, the capacity. I've always up, kept, you know, my website as up to date as possible, and I've sold things through that before, including the the book I was talking about earlier, and I, I have a podcast as well, and I have a, a website for that. At the moment, it's not set up for people to be able to buy things, but more recently, I have put up what I've just called a shop window, which allows people to kind of then navigate off to other people's shops that they run themselves. No, I'm not. I I guess I looked into things like Saatchi on, online around finishing my degree. I don't know if I, I might have briefly had things on there, but I don't really 
really know if the stuff that I make would be as a, I think people are looking maybe more for one-off pieces a bit more. I, I think the, the better idea for my sort of stuff is probably just trying to build an audience, which I'm moving to social media. I'm trying to do a bit better now. I've never been great with social media. I take too many little holidays from it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, consistency is a very important part of this Absolutely. social media experience these days. Yeah, but I, I think I'm trying to embrace it a lot more at the moment just because, you know, we are in this kind of lockdown situation. Yeah, I guess for the last year I've been trying to be a lot better with it in general and think about I, – it's a, it's a learning process, I think, like anything else. Like like you say, some people are, I think are just very good at this and they're, they're a bit more fearless about kind of sharing – parts of themselves I think I'm I'm getting closer to being able to to share my own story a little bit more through the pictures and things that I'm posting up and I, I think that will probably be a good strategy I guess for me I mean that makes it sound quite I don't know I'm not sure about that word but I, I guess no, that, as, but that's what it is that's what we have to do I mean, sure you know, no matter how much we want to say we're artists and we're in the studio and we're creative and all this, I mean, in the end, if we want to do it for our career, we have to earn a living from it somehow. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, taking, making, having marketing strategies or goals or plans or whatever, like, yeah, they're business terms, but I mean, our job of being creative is to run a business basically. And that business is us being creative. Yeah. And actually in the last year, uh, another photography friend and I have started up what we call our sort of quarterly appraisals where we'll talk to each other about you know the, the goals that we'd set up from the, the previous quarter and and where we've got to with them and if we haven't achieved them why not and it's it's quite a good way I think of sort of holding yourself accountable and and just you know those, those things that people have within businesses do help I think kind of see where you're going and take a step forward or back whatever um, you need to do so yeah I've been trying trying to kind of I guess integrate some of that stuff into my working life I think also because I I really enjoyed the work I did with Tate it was it was 11 months working kind of full-time for them and then I did some freelance stuff for them as well but you know you you realize just like how much you can learn from just sort of doing the same thing again and again and and through yeah kind of speaking with people who have been in an industry for longer than you even if they're not on the same path but they you know can maybe think about what the path might look like for you and and I, I think, think I just, just described my podcast, but okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, and it's just, it's, it's so useful. And I think I, I really didn't want to lose that because it, it, it's, it goes back to that idea of the type of education you get at art school as well, because I think you, you don't want to, to stop the style that you get in an art school compared to say a technical college but you do want to be able to marry those two things. And I think if you can try to marry up this idea of being like a, 
a freelance artist with the the structure and the kind of career ladder I guess of of being within a a business environment or or just as an employee in any field it's really useful well that lends the question that I I wonder about like do you have side hustles like how many part-time jobs or how many other jobs do you have to do and what are they because one of the questions that sort of is within that is basically like some creative people I know love doing jobs that use their creative skills Mm -hmm. and whereas I know other people who love having jobs that have nothing to do with their creative skills to leave them free to be creative when they get home and on weekends well I I feel I've been I mean again lockdown aside I've been quite lucky in the last year in terms of I'm really trying to move into this sort of art and education and so I have been mostly been working doing you know what I do as an artist but but working with young people different groups so you know I might be running like a workshop for earlier this year I ran a workshop for teenagers who are in care and it's part of a program to help them do things all together but it was teaching them photography but it was it was really like being able to bring in a lot of like what I am interested in as an artist and try and get them excited by things like that so that was all about identity, self-identity and kind of showing themselves. But at the same time, they, they couldn't. So from a permission point of view, they, they couldn't actually show their faces and things like that. So it was about how do we... Why couldn't they show their faces? Because they, they were all under 18 and they were in the care system. And if we were going to... Ha- we were planning on exhibiting the work. Again, this didn't happen because of the lockdown. But it was only ever going to be for their teachers and their and carers and and things like that but yeah just just from a, a safeguarding point of okay. view well because i lived in the middle east and, and there right. was different reasons for not ah. showing faces there so that's why i'm sort of like why can't they show their face yeah i mean i i think because we had that level we didn't even get into any sort of religious reasons or anything like that the, the main reason was just from a safeguarding point of view the age basically Age, but also their circumstances. I, yeah, keep in mind, I'm not British, so I don't know what care means. Ah, sorry. It's like, like the foster system. Do you have? Yeah. Do you, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So just children within the foster system. And, but that, you know, again, that's the sort of creative challenge. How do you say something about yourself, put yourself into a picture without necessarily showing yourself so there was still kind of their bodies might be in it but they might sort of cover themselves with material or use the back of their head or use their hands or just use objects again it became very kind of symbolism based and I had lots of fresh fruit and 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 things like that for them and colorful backgrounds something I use quite a bit in some of my work too and so it yeah I'm I'm lucky that it's kind of like the side hustle was kind of the education side, but I've managed to draw that a lot more into my work. But I'm, I really loved working with, so the, the Steve McQueen project was working with seven and eight year olds and it was great working with that age group. And, and it was eye opening because a lot of them already think that creativity and art is not something that's that important. You're not going to earn any money from that. I mean, not to say that they're not right about the money. I mean, you'd have to work hard if you want to earn any money from it. But, you know, 
So he'd already started, a lot of them already started writing it off as a, as a career option at seven and eight years old. And so I am basically, yeah, trying to be part of, there's already organizations that I started learning about that, that do a lot to help young people and older people as well, because I've worked with older people, kind of gain hope, gain creative skills and think about how they can have a future through this or they, they can tell their stories through it or, or whatever it might be for that particular group. And so that that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. A lot of things within schools and education. And yeah, I also work with older people. I had a very interesting workshop that I had to do last year that was kind of just sort of dropped on me a little bit and I had to sort of figure out how it was going to work. I was asked to run a workshop, a photography workshop, for over 60s who are blind and visually impaired. And the majority of them, it turned out, when we arrived, were blind. So that was all about making photography more of a tactile object and kind of playing with it as a two-dimensional form and, and things like that. Luckily, we had a lot of volunteers helping them to do things like photo weaving and creating new pictures and yeah new uh and using shapes to create new pictures but um yeah, yeah that is admittedly a very difficult um thing <laughs> yeah. to achieve but it, it can be done i mean i know of, i know of artists that have done challenging things like that where yeah. they sort of you know work against the 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 circumstances and try and come up with something really brand new so yeah yeah, yeah but it's so th- I, a lot of the workshops and things I'm I'm doing at the moment or projects I work on, they still provide this kind of creative brief. And so, yeah, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing outside my own visual art practices is, is that, and it still provides this kind of challenge. And yeah, I find it really interesting. I'm really enjoying it. Okay. So what, what about your podcast? I saw that it, it was sort of politely been on hiatus, maybe? Well, it was always intended to be seasonal. <laughs> How long a season gap can be, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, I did six episodes. So that alone took, I mean, over a year to do because it's quite involved. So the podcast is all about following people as their projects are actually being made because I mean I'm a big podcast fan and I've always loved things like This American Life and a lot of great things from like NPR and and so I kind of fell in love with that style of storytelling yeah so the first one that I did was all about this um so Claire Hewitt who's an amazing award-winning photographer who has a pen friend on death row in Kentucky and I remember when I met her and learned about her project I could see how this podcast could work and I found yeah other photographers with these stories where I could follow them for what I call like one cycle of the work and be there as like the, as the you know the shutters being clicked and, and things like that at the moment what I'm doing with it is I've been using things like Instagram live and we've been kind of going back and trying to I'm just looking at other ways in, in which to tell stories. It's not, again, this is not really about, this goes back to funding issues, really. So when I initially... Doesn't it all go back to funding? <laughs> yes. Yeah, when I initially did the first series, I did apply for Arts Council funding and I didn't get it. Um, and that was, that particular 
application was like really laborious like it's probably the longest one I've ever had to do and then I got lucky like I mean I can do most of the stuff like I, I made films when I first came out of art school and things like that short films I learned a lot about editing but mixing was the one thing I didn't really know how to do but we got a lot of we we're very lucky just bringing in favors really so a company that we actually had no connect, no real connection to offered to mix the episodes for free, which was great. Yeah, that would be yeah. fabulous. Yeah, so that was that was really amazing. We had an amazing composer and performer do theme music and little kind of sound beds for us, and a friend who's an illustrator to do the logo, and and so all of that stuff is really beautiful and professional and, and great. But you know, just the prices for for mixing are really high and you know it's like if to in order just to find that money we could probably do that with a push but then it's a lot of work so it's just that style of of podcasting is is it's really time intensive and so I've just been looking at ways to kind of try and build an audience and it and it's it's you know the numbers are good but they're not enough that we're going to be able to fund those episodes so I mean I've never abandoned that I've always been looking you know continually kind of pushing the stories that we do have finding new angles talk about them yeah using this lockdown to learn about new technology I use Instagram live for the first time we've been going back and talking to the pe- the photographers about the stories behind the work and what they're doing now and it, it's really nice i mean i just i want to keep it as this very intimate kind of experience because that's what it's supposed to be like you you're a fly on the wall you're hearing people as they make their work and and i'm trying to find other ways to do that we've done it through blogs and we're trying to start doing it through just like little instagram posts but just again I don't I don't want to just kind of go into this like photographers talk about their process from this kind of retrospective because I just I I feel like a lot of the time when I hear people talk about specifically about their work they feel this need to talk about it in a much more academic way pin ideas to it that that weren't there at the time which is fine but it, it it's this you know photographers I think still just feel the need to elevate their work. Yeah, be pompous. We 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 want to, to make ourselves sound more important than we actually are. But I, I mean, I understand it from a kind of trying to f- feel part of the art world. You know, it's like a, it's, a, it's a leftover kind of thing of like photography for years. I'm wasn't. a photographer. I get it. <laughs> so, but I don't. Yeah, I don't really want that sort of stuff. I I I want to know about. The, the highs and lows I want to know about the accidental shots and the and the people that you come across and and actually so there's an episode that's about my work and I mean I've, I've made a an image from it but really that one is very much just about this kind of journey and that's a little bit very laborious style of of uh creating a podcast because you're talking you know 
I mean, you know, like you said, like years of basically just getting clips and sound bites and yeah. ideas, and then hopefully it comes together. And sometimes, sometimes it won't even come together at all. I'm sure that you, you mean, because you have six in the first season. I'm, did you really do just do six, or did you start with maybe like ten or twelve? No, I actually only did. Out? No, I actually did six. But maybe if I'd aimed to do more, it probably would have. I mean, I know that this American Life, what do they, they, Brian Reed of Serial, not Serial, goodness me, what's the other one called? I can't think now. But he's talked about how they have their, 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 their kill budget or whatever they, they call it. And yeah, and I can totally understand why, because yeah, you go down a route with somebody. I mean, mine in particular, I had no idea because I was trying to, you know, I said my, my dad was an actor and full of ideas and all these things and would tell these anecdotes. And I was trying to track down whether an anecdote kind of checked out or not. And even at that point, it was sort of 14 years after he'd passed away. And I, just before that, I'd made this like recording with him, which is very long and all about his life. And I guess a little bit like what we're doing now, only much more of a retrospective of somebody's life and all their anecdotes and and it was really yeah it was interesting but I had no idea where that was going to go that was probably the only one really where it, it could have gone nowhere the other ones that yeah it, but you're right I, I did have to kind of I, I did listen to some things and think there's not enough and I had to go back and kind of get other input from other people to kind of adds to the the story and the surroundings of the the story but you know for anyone listening those those six are <laughs> i think they're pretty strong so they're they're worth a listen and they are i was hoping you were to hear that you were like yeah next season's coming out soon well i have recorded i have recorded another episode with a photographer but that was sort of trying stuff out kind of like we're doing just now kind of at, at distance, but I don't know how that one's going to work out because it's very different, but I'm going to see if I can apply a similar style. So it's going to be a kind of experiment, I guess, a bit of a hybrid. I just saw a thing on Facebook where a photographer in, I think Norway or something did a, a an online connected thing with a model in i think it was poland where the photographer had control over the camera remotely right. via, via like also and the model would do things in this in the location and and they actually made some beautiful images wow okay that's really interesting it was fascinating just the idea that basically you know via the internet the you know, so the model set up the camera and then the photographer via the the web had control over the camera, shutter, aperture, shutter speed, focus, everything that was necessary. And then he could instruct the model to do whatever he needed them to do via the speaker and all that. Yeah. And they actually were able to achieve very beautiful results with like crazy technology and distance and all this. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, uh, so in the first Instagram live thing that we did, that I was talking to Dan Gaber, who's a street photographer and a photo editor for the Wall Street Journal as well. 
we had him for one of the episodes called the street where we're following him so i was saying you know what are you what are you doing at the moment and we we talked about how i don't know if you've heard about this but there's a a lot of there are street photographers who've taken to games like red dead redemption and they're now taking photographs within the computer game i have actually seen these because i do portfolio reviews uh, for lens culture and i actually Mm -hmm. had somebody submit a portfolio of work taken inside a video game right well there you go (laughs) but yeah just more ingenuity into how you can do these things remotely i guess and and stay safe and at home and okay so what's the future for you so baby first i guess (laughs) beyond baby yeah i mean well we'll see hopefully things alongside the baby too but well, because that, that's a conversation I've had with other people, which is the oh, yeah. I- issue of artists, specifically women artists, theoretically having to take time off to raise a child and then come back and have difficulty getting back into the industry because of that gap in their CV. Mm. I think, I mean, again, the lockdown itself was not planned, but I think one thing is that you know I have I have work that I was supposed to be doing now that will hopefully be postponed, and that's a lot of the kind of as an artist educator, and so there are schools projects and things like that, and I think I'm I'm lucky that that community of of, of people and the organisations, especially when we're talking about education of, of, of young people, they kind of understand that, you know, people also want to have their own young people. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm at a, a point where I can maintain those those networks. And, and actually, you know, the silver lining of, of all this stuff and communicating remotely is that you kind of get a bit better at just maintaining these relationships without being in the room with somebody. So I'm planning on just continuing to make my own work. The plan is to do more stuff with the podcast as well and just, yeah, build build more of a career within the artist and, and education side of things. Yeah, that's that's the plan. And where that goes, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to be a bit more free and open to just seeing where things go a little bit more as well, especially within my own work. I've always been quite bad at just like having these very specific end goals and I'm trying to take the work on the journey I guess a little bit more and just see where it goes and and what paths it can go down and, and all of those things well thank you very much for your time thank you thank you very much